0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Trinetti. Happy May, happy NBA basketball, happy NHL game sevens, happy NFL draft, happy UDFA hell. That's where we are today. Uh, this one's going to be quick. Just kind of a recap of uh, things we saw, things we see, things we've been assessing. And plenty of things we've been inputting into SpotTrack.com. I'm going to open up with basketball quickly. Uh, the plan down the road, probably Thursday. That's the uh, early early scheduling here. Keith Smith discussing, not the Bucks collapse, but just where we go from here. You know, um, There are some pieces that have some question marks, one of them not being Giannis. By the way, I can tell you right now, do not read into the Giannis non-extension stuff. Yep, he can do it. Nope, he shouldn't do it, A, for financial reasons, B, because he should keep the uh, gas pedal down on the Bucks organization, right? If he's at least nearing expiration on that contract, then they're going to have to start thinking about all-in mode or remain in all-in mode. So I can tell you right now, Keith's going to mimic those words, and he'll have plenty more to to discuss with them. Um, We'll have the same conversation about the Cavaliers. To some degree, but um, that might just be a scheme situation, possibly a coaching situation. I'm interested to hear Keith's thoughts on that. And then, of course, the Sacramento Kings, who didn't flail out here. This was an overachieving season by all regards. Um, They looked like a team that had never been in a Game 7 before together. That's what it was. Um, And I'm going to talk about the flip side of that in a second here, but I don't think there's too much to worry about if you're a Sacramento fan, you definitely need some sort of enforcer next to Sabonis bonus for playoff time because he, I don't know, crawls under a shell this time of year, clearly, uh, or it is extremely easy to be taken out of his 15-foot his jump shot mode. Let's put it that way. He looks like a player who's kind of lost on the court, and I think that had to more, more to do with Golden State's ability to shut him down than it is his inability to play the game the proper way. But I think you can fix that with a couple of ads this year, this off season. So uh, Keith's been doing all that work. He knows every name that's available, every name that may become available via, via sign and trade, via actual trade, via buyout and wave. Um, you know how this works. It's a it's a mess, right? That leading up to July 1st and then certainly from July 1st on to October 1st. Superstars galore, get moved, get talked about, get rumored, uh, force their way out. I think we're going to have a couple of more instances of that this offseason. Will some of these teams here, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and Sacramento, benefit or go all in for one of these players that may be able to take them to the next level? That's coming up later this week. Just a little preview of my thoughts in regards to that. But it's obviously a Steph Curry conversation to start the top of the show here. Um, financially speaking, he's a Wow. And then you look at a game like yesterday and you think, oh, right, <laughs> right. Uh, three years, 167.2 million left on this, sale, on this contract right now. Uh, that is not a typo. I did not read that wrong. That's exactly what he's going to make. It's 51.9 for 2023, 55.7 in 2024, and 59.6 in 2025. He'll be age 37 as he's finishing out this contract. So there's a world where there's another contract after this. I'm not sure. You know, we just can't. We have to stop putting these other athletes up against LeBron. It's because it's not natural. It's not normal. Now, you know, Steph is in maximum shape. And a lot of that has to do with the style of play, the constant movement. Um, yes, taking his rest when he needs to, but I think also not resting. Is that a crazy thing to say, right? He's constantly in motion, constantly warm. Uh, You don't see the herky jerkiness out of his game. It's so smooth. And uh, I I credit that to his lack of injuries. His injuries have been hands and stuff like that. Yeah, he's had some ankle turns and all that. You're going to get that. I I don't think at any point in time, any of us thought his body was breaking down, you know, at age 34, going on 35 here. So I'm I'm rooting for as much stuff as we can get. I don't know how anybody watched yesterday and, and isn't in that camp right now compensation wise, he's at the top of the league. So this is one of those instances where because of max salaries and because of timing and because of the salary cap increases that are no end in sight right now, this is a league that properly compensates its superstars from basically from day two and on, right? You have to get through the rookie wage scale, but it's a two-year process, three years, four years at most. And then, you know, for some, and in Steph's case, there was actually an expedited bridge contract. Steph Curry wasn't Steph Curry until 2014, 2013. When he signed his first extension uh, back in 2012, so just to start the 2012 season, which would have been his fourth year of his rookie contract. Okay, so there was a qualifying offer coming after that. He did a 4-year 44 million dollar extension. That is not, you know, with any kind of percentage of the cap at that point in time. Okay, 11 million per year, it was value and it became value instantly because almost days after that extension was signed, you started to see it. Now we had seen flashes of it, but again, a lot of players come out of college, especially out of an unknown college, and show that they can play ball. It's consistency, it's defense. It's all those things that have to come together at the NBA level that that's, you know, weed so many of those players out after a couple of years or so. So nobody's faulting Golden State here for that bridge contract. And certainly Seth Curry took it. And there was an injury involved there as well. But four for 44 was his first official extension in this league since then. Five for 201 and four for 215. So this is what happens when you prove yourself in this league. It quickly escalates from great money to unbelievable, almost unthinkable money, and that's where Steph Curry is: fifty-one nine, fifty-five seven, fifty-nine six. I haven't enjoyed watching an athlete more since Michael Jordan. I never do this, right? I never get on my fan soapbox because I'm I'm trying to keep things analytically and financially relevant here. I, I haven't enjoyed watching an athlete more than Steph Curry since the '90s. He is. Unselfish, he is as a coach, and, and I do a little youth coaching in, in sports. What he does without the without the basketball is absolutely mind-boggling. It it is something you can't teach. I've tried, right? And you can talk about it. You can show, I I show youth, youth athletes Steph Curry. I'm not teaching basketball. I show them Steph Curry because what he is doing not only for his own purposes, right, to get himself open, but to make everybody's world better around him. And that's what, that's what movement is, whether it's moving the ball and or moving yourself. It is so unteachable. I, I'm going to credit his family growing up for putting him in those kind of situations. Uh, you can just imagine the pickup games that happened in Steph Curry's childhood and around NBA players too, by the way. So he was seeing this at a young age, probably being thrown into a situation where, you know, he's probably playing against people that are a foot and a half taller than him at age six, you know, and the documentary is coming, you know, it's going to be out there. But that's the most fascinating part about his game. Sure. He's hitting 40 foot bombs constantly, you know, consistently, even at age 35. Sure. He's, uh, his handle and his drive to the basket maybe is as good as he's ever been. 15 years into the league. All that's there. I mean, there's not a part of his game. Even at times, defense can be to his advantage because of his ability to be savvy and knowledgeable and the basketball IQ side of it, you know, but the movement is honestly overwhelming. (laughs) and I can't even imagine trying to be on that court against the golden state team, especially in this situation, a Sacramento team that's young, that is hungry but doesn't have the pedigree for that kind of a situation, that kind of a scenario. Game seven, you saw it. Man, it was deer in headlights in that fourth quarter. And it was single-handedly Steph Curry doing the job on the other side of the court. It was not Clay's night. Draymond's, Draymond defensively, not an option offensively. So he's just a statue doing his thing. Come on, Looney was certainly doing his, his part in the paint. But on the outside, they they weren't asking Jordan Poole to do anything yesterday. They weren't asking DiVincenzo to do anything yesterday. This was, I'm the grown man in this building today. That team over there is gonna be scared. And that's it. And it was. And, and, And this is not hyperbole, because something we rarely see, emotion and talking and trash from Steph Curry. It was awesome. Steph Curry lit the beam after the third quarter. All right. We don't see that too often. He's arrogant and cocky with his game and rightfully so, but generally it is 100% within the lines, right? Full class. I loved yesterday because it was to another level and he couldn't even control his emotions. That was good stuff. All right. Uh, Lakers, Warriors, I, I don't even need to preface that. You know what it is. The Lakers rebuilt themselves somewhat um, unbelievably at the trade deadline to the point of where they are now one of the deeper rosters in this playoffs. They have a good matchup size wise against the Warriors. This should be a battle. This should be a battle. We're all rooting for Game Seven here. There's no question about that. And after watching two NHL Game Sevens last night and another one the night before, and then a Steph Curry Game Seven, uh, we are pretty spoiled right now. If you were a multi sport fan, so. Uh, Just a bit about Steph off the top here. He's not going anywhere as it speaks. At some point in time, we're going to have to talk about this Warriors roster, though, with Keith. uh, Because there's a Draymond problem. There's obviously a clay problem uh, from a contract standpoint and from a basketball standpoint. So how do we keep this train moving? And is the answer simply just let Steph cook? That's certainly what it was yesterday. Okay, switching gears to the NFL. Before I dive into a couple of draft thoughts, Adam Schefter had a tweet mid-draft mid that I uh, I kind of tossed over as a conversation starter. And I did this last year as well. And I'm, for those of you who remember that and think I'm a crazy person, yes, I'm getting old, but I do remember that this was a conversation last year. I think it's worth having every year until at least somebody with a uh, with a foot in the room comes out and says, yeah, maybe it's time to readdress some, some of this stuff. I don't think it's broken the compensatory draft system. I don't. And I think it's a really good process to give teams the ability to have a chance to reset themselves after losing a major player. Um and maybe that's the way I I choose to look at it. Right. So for instance, here in Buffalo, the Bills just lost their starting inside linebacker, a former first round pick, Tremaine Edmonds, to a massive deal to the Bears. Okay. That is the that is the absolute best case, case example for a compensatory draft pick. It's a starter. It's a, it's a player that played significant snaps for the team that just lost him. It's a player who was drafted by that team and completed his entire contract with that team in the Buffalo Bills. And then he went and got $72 million from, from the Bears, a, a number that the Bills simply weren't going to, going to approach. All of that, in my opinion, should equal a compensatory draft pick. Now, does it have to be that rigid, right? Drafted, started a contract, blah, blah, blah. No, I'm certainly willing to compromise on some of those factors. But to me, that's the absolute perfect storm of why a team should be rewarded with something simply because another team overpaid them in free agency. Perfect example. Nobody, I don't think anybody can, can argue that example. Okay. Player got overpaid to leave his drafted team. So the drafted team's going to get a little bit of kickback in, in return. Fine. It's great. And by the way, the fact that the Bills franch, didn't franchise tag him allows for this. That's another example. The The question that came up initially, and then the tweet that Adam Schefter had put out there which was relevant at the time, is that the Philadelphia Eagles acquired running back DeAndre Swift. Uh, he's in the final year of his contract. I believe it's $1.7 million. He's added to just a phenomenal value running back room in Philly. Uh, for all those that thought they were, we were going BJ Robinson or acquiring Derrick Henry, uh, they zagged. They zagged, and they're going to stick with five or six $1 million players that are going to rotate in and out and drive fantasy owners nuts, and you know how this works in Philly. Um, in fact, I believe somebody countered a tweet that I threw out, which was all six of the Eagles running backs basically add up to the cap of Miles Sanders in Carolina this year. So that tells you everything you have to know about the approach that Philly's taken right now with this position. DeAndre Swift, one year, 1.7 left. It's non-guaranteed. And, uh, he is set for unrestricted free agency in 2024 In acquiring them. Philly now holds the rights to the comp pick should he walk next March and sign a lucrative deal with another team. So, in essence, they're going to get a comp pick from Miles Sanders, right? Who just walked, who was drafted, signed, completed his rookie contract with Philly, and then let to the walk this past March. Signed four for 25, 13 million guaranteed. That's a comp pick. DeAndre Swift was acquired April 29th. He's going to play 18 to 20 weeks with this team on 1.7 million, maybe get 50% of the running back snaps with the room that they have right now. He's going to walk. And if he signs a $10 million contract, he's he's probably going to qualify for a comp pick. It just seems like those two situations, Miles Sanders and DeAndre Swift should have different outcomes. Now, look, a ton of things have to happen here, right? DeAndre Swift has to sign a, a contract worth a damn before May 2nd next year. That's one. Because if you sign in the Damian Harris or the Devin Singletary or the oh, most of these running back contract, Jamal Williams, the one-for-ones and one-for-twos, what are we even talking about here? So it's possible this is not even a conversation. The other side of this is Philadelphia or Detroit, excuse me, knows That in acquiring DeAndre Swift, Philadelphia is also acquiring the ability to get a compensatory draft pick if and when he walks. And Detroit should be building that into the trade conversation. So, you know, it was Swift and a seventh for a fourth and a seventh. Maybe that seventh round swap was, we know you're getting a comp out of this. Maybe it wasn't enough. I just don't know that it should be this open-ended. That's all uh, my, in my tweet and sort of kind of getting the conversation started. I said, one of two things should a player have to start and end his contract with that team in order to qualify, or should there at least be a two year service time with that team? So for instance, Swift wouldn't qualify because he's only going to play one season for the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. But a player like Stefan Diggs, who was brought over to the Bills with two years left on his Minnesota contract, if he had walked and not extended, that would have qualified. There's a NBA bird's right process to where I'm thinking here, you know, where you can't just pull in a player midway through a season and then expect to have all of the rights that a normal player that got through a contract and and finished it would have. The NBA has been really good about this and and able to adjust and flex with it. The Kyrie stuff, um, the Derrick Rose world, there's all that. The NFL, is, in a lot of what they do, the franchise tax, a lot of what they're doing out there is one size fits all. And I think that's what this is. And I just think it's a good process. It's a good starting point. Let's just evolve it. Let's make it better. Let's make it a little bit stringier, a little bit stricter, so that, you know, the Patriots and the Ravens can't do this every year because they're going to do this every year. They're going to poach four or five players every year to make sure that they load up on third and fourth picks. And those picks are just too valuable these days. You know, we talked so much about the first round and the top 100. Well, picks 90 through. One hundred and fifty. It's a hell of a lot of starters. There's a couple of Hall of Famers, all right. A couple of starting quarterbacks right now in that window. So, I just think it's it's most people probably don't think it's broken, and I don't necessarily think it's broken either. But it's one of those areas where I just think the NFL is sitting on their hands and saying, eh, nobody's really complaining too much. Let's just continue to walk down this line. Why not tinker? Why not be proactive for once with anything? (laughs) With anything? Uh, I would just love this league to look a little bit more like the NBA once. And this is one of those instances. That's all I'm saying. Um, Let me know. Should the player have to be drafted by a team, right? Should it not qualify for the one and two year veteran contracts? Because would it make it easier for those players to get more contracts? Get earlier contracts, right? You wouldn't have to wait till May and June to become non qualified for comp- compensatory formula. Should there be a certain service time where those players no longer qualify? You know, if you get past six years of service or eight years of service, now you're just free to, ro- to, to roam and there's no kickback at all should it be you have to be with the team for at least two full seasons and uh and then you will qualify if you walk i'd like to see some adjustments that's all it's a good process i'm not trying to uh, completely uh eviscerate it here and i don't want to see it go away because i think more draft picks are better for everybody i just think it's a little bit too generous right now okay how about the actual draft picks that happened um you, myself, everybody were inundated with grades and best and worst and winners and losers and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, I'm remiss to to go down that road a little bit, but I, I spent every, you know, Scott, Scott Allen and I spent every single minute of our weekend entering these players in and it's impossible not to have a, a raised eyebrow or a, uh, you know, an ooh moment here and there. There were a few of them. Uh, we can start with the quarterbacks This is exactly what I thought was going to happen. Now, I I wasn't going to put money on Will Levis being the one that dumped, that dropped. But somebody was going to, right? In my opinion, it was either going to be Levis or Anthony Richardson. There was no world where CJ Stroud got past three, in my, in my opinion. Uh, and I absolutely love, and we talked about that last week, that Houston did what they had to do. And uh, did they have the balls to not do it? No. And that's okay. Quarterbacks are too important. We had... 14 quarterbacks picked from Bryce Young down to Max Duggan. A couple of uh, NCAA playoff quarterbacks there. It's a good list. I'm going to give you my favorite quarterback pick. I don't think you're going to like this one. (laughs) Stetson Bennett joining the Rams with... You know, all the age jokes are there. By the way, Hendon Hooker is just as old, and he's going to Detroit. So... What are you gonna do? That just seems like a wonderful fit. Um, it feels golfish, except instead of having to do it in the top two picks, they d- they do it fourth round pick number one twenty-eight. And Stetson Bennett's guaranteed seven hundred thousand dollars over the next four years in the term in the way of a signing bonus. It's a complete boomer bust pick. It's certainly a capable player. I think it's a heady player. And I think it's the kind of person that could look a little like Matthew Stafford, not talent-wise, and he's not there. But you give this guy a playbook for a year, and, and that's really what we're talking about here, maybe even two. Hopefully, Stafford is healthy for both of these two years because he's certainly fully guaranteed through him. But uh, Bennett in that system with that coach with time, he, he absolutely now has time. Because of Matthew Stafford's financial situation, seems really intriguing to me. Really intriguing. Now, the off the field stuff. I'm not going I'm not. I don't even know the story. I'm not gonna comment on it. If he's got, you know, if he's got some ghosts in the in the, in the chamber that uh, might come back out, then certainly that's gonna derail his plan and his process and his ability to get to where he needs to be. But I think his setup is one of the better setups of these 14 players. Certainly Bryce Sung is set up nicely on, on a really nice Carolina roster with a quarterback coach now. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't like uh, what Will Levis might be thrown into here. I think Tennessee is trying to rip a Band-Aid off and win the division at the same time. That's freaking hard, really hard. Um, but I think Stetson Bennett, Bennett's process, plan, and path make a a heck of a lot of sense over the next two seasons here. So that's one of those eye raisers for me. Uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson, the UCLA quarterback, who I got to see quite a bit this year for whatever reason, just laying in bed. This kid's an athlete. Uh, I really like the way he handles an offense. I'm not sure he was in the best offense for himself. And now he gets to be the protege and the number two for Deshaun Watson. That that really sounds good. Now, can Cleveland build an offense for Deshaun Watson? I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's card before the horse discussion, but I really like that pick as their long-term number 2 and in what could what could turn into a tradable asset for them. So, that's fifth round, you know, number 140 overall, 340,000 signing bonus guarantee. That's it. I mean, that's total slam dunk if he works out even just as your number 2 for 4 years. And by the way, that's a lot of what we're seeing here. We're seeing good teams, right? Philly drafted a quarterback, Minnesota, Green Bay, uh, different reasons there. Arizona drafted a quarterback. The Rams drafted a quarterback. we see seen a lot of good teams. The Chargers drafted Max Duggan. Okay, obviously there's a number one quarterback in front of many of those teams I just mentioned. This is about getting value for your number two quarterback. We've been talking about this quite a bit. They're going to open up, open up a three quarterback system for the playoffs immediately, all right? You're going to have three rostered quarterbacks because we don't want to see... What we saw last year, where wide receivers are trying to go out there, running backs are trying to go out there and win ball games, it's just not good for the product, and and no team deserves to have that. You now need to carry three legitimate quarterbacks on your roster, not through the whole year. You know, with the with the weekly up and downs from the practice squad and the, and the way the practice squad rules have been adjusted over the past three seasons, you can be a little bit more frivolous about it. But this is a clear sign that. Teams might not even want to bring in a Joe Flacco anymore. Now, there's a, there are certain teams that should do that for a lot of reasons, but there's no pressure on Justin Herbert and the QB1 job. But why not try to find a Justin Herbert light? You know, a gritty, gutty, strong player like Max Duggan, who, who costs them absolutely nothing, literally $87,000 guaranteed and minimum salaries from there. See if you can develop, develop this guy. You know, maybe he's the perfect kind of fit socially to fit with Herbert in the locker room. That's another part of this. Are are you trying to find, you know, are you trying to match make a little bit here? Because this could be a very contentious, stressful four year run for a a franchise that's contending. You know, it's not all good times. It's the arrow, the target's always on you. So I give Philadelphia and the Chargers and some of these contending teams, Cleveland to some degree, a heck of a lot of credit for going down this path and taking an asset away from their defensive line or their secondary, or you know what I'm talking about, to do this. Because a lot of times this has been a UDFA. And those players just have so much trouble, you know, bouncing around so much and fighting for bonuses. And and you know how this works. I give them a lot of credit for sliding them into the seventh and into the seven rounds and probably giving them an excellent chance to become the immediate QB2 on those rosters. So something I noticed quite a bit. Running backs, we had a lot of them. Obviously, this is where teams are going. We had 18 running backs selected, uh, two of them in the first. We had seven of them in the top 100 right? from Bijan Robinson to Tank Bigsby. There's a lot of talent here, <laughs> okay? A lot of talent. I know the Jets got a player that they absolutely love in the fifth round. Um, the Deuce Vaughn situation in Dallas was awesome in the, with the sixth round pick. Not sure he can stick, but there's, there's room on that roster even if they bring back Zeke on a, on a minimum salary. Um, clearly, this was a volume move for teams, even if you had a running back. Even Atlanta, right? Atlanta's now going to slide. Bijan in with Ty- Tyler Algier, maybe with Cordero Patterson. We'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, Detroit took a player despite signing David Montgomery. Seattle took a player in the second and in the seventh despite Kenneth Muir Kenneth J- Jr. last year. New Orleans appears to be moving on from Elvin Kamara after the season, no question there. Derrick Henry's replacement could be on this roster right now. And Miami added, what, their 97th running back in the third round? Because <laughs> that's, uh, that's certainly how they want to do it, right? In and out and bouncing around, and everybody get, gets a different week. There's just no, uh, there's no reason not to draft running backs. There's not. Now, Damian Harris, Devlin Singletary at one year, 2 million. There's no reason not to do that either. So if you're, you know, a team, every team needs four to five running backs at any one given time, you're going to see teams do everything every offseason, which is good. And it's bad. You know, the, the, the prices are going to continue to skyrocket down and plummet because of the volume, because of the deterioration and the guarantees are going to just be in the tank, but these guys are going to have jobs. You know, Jamal Williams is going to continue to get a one-year contract and get jobs. So it's a bit of a catch 22. The money is gone, but the stability and the need is, is is as big as ever. So 18 running backs drafted, plenty of them in the top 100. Teams were not afraid to use major draft capital on the running back position. 33 wide receivers were taken. I go back to Seattle, who took the first one, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, that's a pretty freaking scary uh, wide receiver room now in Lockett and Metcalf and in Smith and Jigba. Uh, Kansas City took a second rounder. Minnesota's going to put Jordan Addison next to Justin Jefferson. That seems like it's going to be just fine. Uh, the Bills, who were, this was one of their big team needs across the world, right? <laughs> I think even self-admittedly, Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean wanted, wanted a wide receiver. And they waited till the fifth round. They took a six-foot-four wide receiver out of Florida, Justin Shorter. Sounds like maybe they're not done I know the Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins stuff seems to have cooled off. Maybe that will uh, relight some fire here in the coming weeks. I think it's very possible. I also think it's possible that they are simply waiting for DeAndre Hopkins to be released. And I don't think that's being talked about enough. Arizona's going in a pause mode. This is a new GM. This is a new coach. I know the quarterback situation is what it is, but with Kyler Murray's injury they've been awarded an opportunity as a new regime to sort of hit the reset button, even though that guy over there is making $46 million, right? Or $48 million. But he's not available. So we we, can take 2023 as sort of a red shirt year is maybe the best way to look at this. And if that's really the plan and the process... And Diab- Drowney happens is still looking for whatever contract he's looking for, even if it's just a restructure. I don't know that the two sides can, can, can make it through the summer. So I think there's a very significant uh, chance that the teams that are in Kansas city, Buffalo, I'd still say the jets, I'd still say the Ravens are just waiting this one out. Um, are they more likely to give a 2024 compensation than 2023 now? Sure. Right? Are they happier to do that? I, I would. I would guess yes, because now it's more of an all-in now that the draft is passed. But I still think that they are waiting this out, and they know that Arizona does not want to pay this salary, does, want, does not want to keep this asset on the roster, and uh, they just want to see what happens closer to June first. So we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Couple of best of picks, and we'll get out of here uh staying with the arizona cardinals i thought the paris johnson jr pick was excellent uh holy cow what a kid this he appears to be with uh this journalism stuff that he's posted out there if you haven't followed him a little bit do it uh he's extremely heady Uh, i think he's going to be an alpha in this league and that is rare for an offensive lineman especially outwardly right he may be the alpha in the locker room but i think he's actually going to be you know a pretty uh important player to this league if he can hit number six overall Um, they needed to replace two or three offensive linemen in Arizona. And this is a really nice way to start that reset process with Kyler Murray coming back in the middle of this year or not till next year. So um, I thought it was an excellent slam dunk pink pick. And he seems like everything that they want him to be out of the gate. Uh, Buffalo's pick with the tight end, Dalton Kincaid. Uh, It's scary to see Travis Kelsey comparisons in the middle of a draft because so many things have to happen. Go right, right, scheme, setup, his ability, his strength, his knowledge, his awareness. Can he handle NFL contact? All this stuff. But if that's what he even becomes close to becoming in this current Buffalo offense with that quarterback, uh, that is a warning call to the rest of the league because there's no question that Tom Brady's success was linked to the unicornness of Rob Gronkowski. And Patrick Mahomes' success is linked to that same kind of flair with Travis Kelsey. So if the Bills have found that version of an athlete in Dalton Kincaid, I don't know how you can lo- hate it. Even if you're not a Bills fan, this is just going to be one of those situations that could elevate an already really great quarterback to that next elite level because of things that just can't be defended. And that's what this position, position can be when the right players dropped into it. Zay Flowers joining the Ravens. um, Obvious reasons. Odell Beckham, Zay Flowers, and a couple of good players who, if they just stay healthy in Baton and Duvernay, now could really round out a hell of a weapon set. So uh, Lamar is under contract. Still no word on those details yet, by the way. And uh, Flowers should be a great addition to that. Brenton Strange, the tight end out of Penn State who joins the Jacksonville Jaguars. Evan Engram's on a franchise tag uh, and he had a really great 2022 with Trevor Lawrence. And uh, if you read some smart people talking about this Jaguars team, specifically with Lawrence, uh, he's a better quarterback when he has big weapons, big, strong, tall weapons. That's why Engram, I think, had such a big successful season, especially in the red zone. Uh, There's uncertainty about his multi-year extension. This could be a one-and-done franchise tag situation. So now you bring in A, a one-two punch with Strange and Engram for 2023. And then maybe you give Strange the keys to the house next year and he becomes that big figure for Trevor Lawrence to find everywhere on the field, but specifically in the red zone as well. So I think that's just really smart awareness of who the hell your quarterback is and what he needs going forward. Um, Staying with tight ends, Michael Mayer joining the Raiders. I couldn't believe he was still there at number 35 overall. I think this could be the best uh, tight end not named Dalton Kincaid in terms of what he can do on the field and certainly in the red zone. Saw quite a bit of him at Notre Dame these past couple of years. They moved on from Darren Waller. They brought in a couple of vets on, on minimum salaries. You know, Garoppolo's sort of in a bridge pattern unless he sticks, but that's probably not going to be the case. But you've got Devonta Adams and Hunter Renfro and Jacoby Myers and now Michael Mayer. That's, that's not the worst... Weapon set in football. It's not. And if you can get Josh Jacobs to sign that franchise tag and play on it, they're going to win some ball games. They're in a brutal division. Uh, I don't think the coach is a winning coach. I'm just going to say that because that's what his stats tell me, but this is a nice, nice addition to a team that, that clearly had a hole here. And I think found a ton of value in filling it where they did. And, And finally, I saved the best for last. How about a center? How about a center? Um, the Giants had a lot of pieces to replace uh, from the last regime still, certainly from free agency, and uh, and just to improve with a roster that overachieved, I think, last year and needs to try to keep that train rolling. And they took a second-round center in John Michael Schmitz, and it couldn't have been a better pick, in my opinion. Uh, you have to keep Daniel Jones on his feet. You have to give him maybe an extra step. He's just going to need that as, as the type of quarterback that he is. He's got young weapons who we needed to develop into this plan. And they were like 2930th 30th in pass block last year, according to PFF. So it, it's, it was a huge, huge need. It's a boring pick for a lot, of play, a lot of fans out there. It is the right pick. Interior offensive lineman, especially with a young quarterback, it's a slam dunk. I'd put the Bills in the same conversation with Osiris in their second round pick. You got to think interior, interior out right now. That's just the best way to look at it. Yeah, your left tackle is still going to get paid a ton of money. But if you are weak inside that line, it's noticeable. Because your quarterback is having to make 1.5 second decisions in one second, and it's, that's a very difficult situation. You know, that's a very difficult scenario for wide receivers that are trying to get 18 yards down the field. You know, strong quarterback arm can't be utilized if your interior line can't hold a pass rush. I, I just like this. They went secondary. They brought in a couple of weapons, and they fortified a replacement for Nick Gates and John Michael Schmitz to go with maybe one of the best left tackles in all of football now, Andrew Thomas, who's going to get some bag in the next couple of weeks. So boring pick, great pick, smart pick, maybe even some value there. But uh, certainly the Giants doing what they had to do, really for the first five rounds here. they I think they slam dunked this draft. They were up there for me quite high. And uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Georgia run that Philly had, which I don't know how you even argue it. How do you argue that it was one of the nastiest defenses you've ever seen on, on the second level. Why wouldn't it translate at least 75% to the NFL level, especially if they're all together kind of feeding off each other. And uh, now you add Deandre Swift, the former Georgia bulldog into the mix as well. It's just a, it was a fun c- scenario to break down and uh, something to we we'll be able to watch quite a bit because Philly's going to get a boatload of primetime games, by the way, 10 days away from schedule release. And uh, that crew has a whole new set of ammo to work with now, with Aaron Rodgers traded, Lamar Jackson back in the fold, and lots of draft day movement as well. All right. I'm going back to the UFA work and uh, try to confirm some of these signings. As rosters increase to 90, man, remember, it's just the top 51 salary cap still all the way through the offseason. Only the top 51 salary cap hits count for a team. Um, draft picks don't count until they sign. So, If they're going to sit down in the drafted selection, but not in the salary cap table until they actually sign their contract. And uh, we'll keep on moving from there. June 1st discussion to be had here eventually soon with the uh, designations falling off and dead cap split thereafter for any trade or or release or retirement and fifth year options. This is the deadline right here. There's been uh, about half decisions made. So we've got about 15, 14, 15 names that still have to be decided for. We'll be uh, keeping up with that. We have a tracker on com. I'll be tweeting that information out as well. And like I said, the compensatory traffic formula falls off after today. So you can sign a free agent and it won't count towards that formula anymore. So we should see some more movement in that regard as well. Planning to get to with the NFL. We'll talk a little bit of NBA with Keith Smith next time. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast.